I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you can call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to Livewire Radio. I'm backstage at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon. And we are about to get started with the show in just a moment. It's going to be a fun one. Our theme this hour is Reality Check. We have Christina Wong on the show. She is a hilarious performance artist and actor. She just gave a reality check to a male dancer at an exotic club here in Portland. So we're going to find out more about that. You don't hear that every day on a public radio show. Also, we have Mark Bitterman here. He is an expert on bitters, extracts, and things that are put in a lot of these craft cocktails. They also have alcohol in them, I didn't realize. For a long time, I was drinking bitters and soda, thinking I was making a non-alcoholic decision. I guess I wish I would have read Mark's book. But now I know. We've also got comedy from Sean Jordan and music from Esme Patterson. And it all gets started right now. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Livewire! Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire! With comedian Sean Jordan, cocktail expert Mark Bitterman, performance artist Christina Wong, and music from Esme Patterson, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, his relationship with reality is tenuous at best, Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thank you, everybody here at Revolution Hall. We have a great show coming up for you. Our theme this hour is reality check. It's good to have dreams, but it's also good to make sure they are rooted in reality. It's why the great philosopher Casey Kasem (laughs) at the end of American Top 40 used to say, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Because you should reach for the stars, but from a safe place like the ground. Um, I got a a reality check this week, and it is that I am very bad at dancing in a ballet. Um, Like, very extremely bad. Uh, What happened was, I, I occasionally do little reports for CBS Sunday Morning, and they called me this week, and they said, do you have any ideas for a Christmas related story? And I said, yes, I do. Because the Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle, they put on the Nutcracker every year, and they've had a role. I've actually done this before, 
where they set it aside for some kind of local quasi-celebrity, and you get to come on stage, you play an old grandpa in the way back of a party scene, and it's perfect because the grandpa is supposed to be kind of senile, like he doesn't know the dance moves, so you cannot mess this role up. It's perfect for somebody who's only had hours of training to be part of this ballet. So I told CBS, how about I go dance in the Nutcracker? You guys film it. It'll be fun. They said, that's great. We'll send the crew out from New York. At no time had I asked Pacific Northwest Ballet if this was cool with them. <laughs> so when I did, they politely gave me a reality check, which is, we totally changed the production this year. There is no senile grandpa role. In fact, there is no role at all that you can come play on stage. This now is only for real dancers, Luke. <laughs> but I was kind of screwed because I had already told CBS they're sending a crew from New York for a thing that we cannot film because it does not exist. So I talked to my friend Leah at the ballet. I was like, you gotta come up with something. So she talked to the artistic director and they said, all right, look, if we can do this costume quick change and if you can come to rehearsal and learn the steps, you could maybe play part of the role of mouse number two. <laughs> I'll give you the details on mouse number two. This is what is required to play the role. One, you have to get in the costume, which is not a small feat. It's this huge, really kind of unwieldy thing to wear. There's a huge mouse head that you have to wear that actually sits on top of your head. You can't see out of the mouse head. You look through a hole in the neck of the mouse, okay? And you, when you do your mouse dance, you have to hold your arms unnaturally high because where the mouse head is, if you don't do that, you'll look like you have T-Rex arms. <laughs> so you gotta get in the costume, then you gotta learn the steps. And these are the steps that mouse number two, or as I learned, his nickname was Cheddar. These are the steps that mouse number two did. You start off on the side of the stage. You run out into the middle of the stage. You scare Clara, the little girl who has the nutcracker. Then you run across to the other side of the stage. You wait for 16 counts. Then you run back to the middle of the stage, and you join this circle of mice that are spinning around Clara and spinning in place for 16 counts. Then you leave the stage. That might sound really easy to those of you who are dancers, but to me, a non-dancer, they might as well have said, can you just do the Gene Kelly part from Singing in the Rain? <laughs> you know, you jump around on the car, you do the thing with the umbrella, it's fine. I was really freaking out about this. I went to the rehearsal. It didn't go great. <laughs> I'm backstage. It's getting closer to performance time. I'm in the mouse suit now. And I'm trying to find somebody to calm my nerves. I start talking to these little kids, <laughs> these like little like, nine-year-old professional ballet dancers. And I was asking them, what should I do? And this one girl said, she, it was a pretty good idea, actually. She said, maybe you could just pretend that you're like a rich mouse who doesn't have to do the spins. You're just kind of like supervising the other mice. <laughs> like a 1% mouse. <laughs> like just, it's a, I mean, it's a tragedy. The, the, the gap between have and have not mice is just growing. I think Bernie Sanders is looking into that. But... I was considering it for a minute, but I was like, I don't know, that's probably not gonna work. So anyway, it's about my moment to go on. I'm standing on the side of the stage. There's this like six, five, very intimidating German guy named Otto 
who is the ballet conductor. His job is to hold me and then push me onto the stage at exactly the moment when I'm supposed to do my thing. And we're standing there, and all of a sudden, I can't see anything. And I'm like, is Otto hazing me right now? Is the other guy who plays mouse number two getting back at me? But I'm trying to be cool. Like, I don't want them to think they're getting to me, so I'm just trying to ride it out. And after about 30 seconds, I realize what has happened. One of the enormous curtains came down and hit me on top of my mouse head. Like, if it would have been two inches over, I would have been knocked totally unconscious. So I was off to a hot start. And now it's time to run on stage. I run out there. I scare Clara. She has this look on her face like, they're letting middle-aged guys in the ballet now? <laughs> I run across. I get on the other side. A different dude's job is to catch me over there, hold me for 16 counts, and push me back out on stage. I think he waited too long, or I was frozen. By the time I start to get back to the middle of the stage, I realize things are going off the rails. All the other mice are already in their circle doing their dance. And I'm like, I have to decide right now, do I try to insert myself into this situation? And like, maybe I'll get there and start spinning and they'll be done and they'll leave. I'll be like the mouse that doesn't know when the party's over. Like, can we call you an Uber? I need you to leave the stage. Or I could just like mouse my way to the back of the stage and just kind of stay out of everyone's way and leave, which I considered. I decided to go for it. I sprinted towards the circle. I did a leap. I started rotating in the air before I even got into my spot so I could try to catch up. I'm doing my spins. The helmet is going crazy because it got hit by the curtain. Can't see anything. Very close to throwing up inside the costume. Which another dude had to put on immediately when I got off the stage. So I'm spinning. I just noticed out of the corner of the mask that like the other mice are leaving. So I'm okay. This must be time to go. I run off the stage, and everyone's taking the costume off of me. It's like a NASCAR pit stop or something. And they're telling me I did a great job, and I'm feeling like so amazing. All of a sudden, I have this euphoria sweep over me. Like I did it. I took on this very intimidating thing. I danced in a professional ballet, in a real role, and I was pretty good. <laughs> and then one of the cameramen from CBS showed me his footage. <laughs> of my performance. It was terrible. Like T-Rex arms. I had the wrong color shoes on, that's true. I got to the spin party late. So I guess I just want to take this uh, opportunity to announce uh, I'm retiring from professional ballet. Uh, I will just stick with hosting public radio shows. Probably a better, better idea. That was sort of a reality check for me right there. All right. Christina Wong is an artist and actor known for her appearances on Comedy Central and the FX Network. Her solo theater show, Wong Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest... And Wong Street Journal delve into the experiences of Asian American women, as well as, in her words, shaming the Wong family name. <laughs> I'm also told she recently gave a male exotic dancer a reality check right here in Portland when he tried to compliment her by telling her how much he likes Oriental women. Please welcome Christina Wong to Livewire. <laughs> Thank you.
Hello, Christina. Welcome to Livewire. Hi, Luke. Hi, Portland. All right, all right. I want to ask you about your uh, conversation with this uh, exotic male dancer. Let's call him Austin for the sake of the story, because that's his real name. <laughs> I want to, but 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 first, before we get to that, because our theme is reality check this hour, I want to talk about something I saw by way of Twitter last night, which is that you here in Portland went on a date and you streamed the date on the internet, basically yes. through the this Periscope. app called Periscope. Yes. So that way I didn't have to actually be in the moment. I could be in the moment with everyone else. And he's actually here tonight. Father of my children, are you here? <laughs> he's a very talented poet and entrepreneur and um, Uber driver here in Portland. Okay, but why did you feel the need to broadcast the state on the internet? Um, I don't know. I, I just tried it for the first time in the afternoon while I was going for a walk, and like 135 people watched me go for a walk, huffing and puffing, and I was like, wow, this could be a great way to just not have therapy, just, just have a whole crutch of an audience watch me experience life and failure, and then I don't actually have to be emotionally invested in anything. Why do you think I got this radio show? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm doing here. <laughs> but so, did you act differently on the date because you were also broadcasting it to some number of people? Yeah, uh, it's interesting because on Periscope, people can post questions and, and suggest things, and they can make lewd comments, and, uh, and that w it just sort of gave us something to talk about and an activity to do together and be on her best behavior. I don't want to be forward, but, like, did things get romantic at the end of the date, and did you have to, like, flip the phone off at that point or no. start charging no. more money for people it, to watch it? It didn't, but it's what kept people hooked. And uh, this might be our half date, our second half date with him in the audience. Just, everything is broadcast, I think. I know, this poor guy, he, he must feel that the only time he can date you is if there are hundreds of people observing. <laughs> if this is the follow-up date here tonight. yes. We could try to uh, attempt uh, something here on this stage, but uh, you might lose your show. Let's, let's leave this poor man alone for at least a, a couple of more hours. <laughs> let's, um, let's talk about your experience at a, what did you call it in the email, local artistic? Uh, a, a local dance venue. A local dance venue. I called the Silverado downtown. Are you familiar with it? Portland and uh, what happened? Uh, well, my friend Suzanne said there's this, this male strip club across the street, and I love Magic Mike. I'm a huge fan of Channing Tatum. I feel like white men get a, a, a bad rap, and the one thing you've done to make up for all that is Magic Mike and all its sequels. <laughs> and that is the best way I've found to enjoy white men. So, that, on one side of the equation, you have the patriarchy and white male privilege, and then you balance that out with. Magic Mike and Magic Mike 2, even Magicker or whatever they yeah, called it. Yeah, that, that seems like a fair deal. <laughs> and so I feel like for me that uh, it is this one place where I can sort of suspend the realities of patriarchy and colonialism. And even though it's operated by my $1 bill in my hand, I can maybe suspend and, and, and have a moment where I am in control as a woman and I am in control where I get to pick and, and feel safe in that space. And that's, and of course, it's the Silverado. That's my suspended utopia, right, of, of, of uh, decolonized space, right? Um, or so I thought. And so, uh, so this guy, Austin, real name, um, uh, was coming on to me like hardcore. And, and uh, I could tell he was straight because he was the worst dancer in the club. <laughs> and 
Big uh, giveaway. Blowing kisses to me across the club. I was like, you know, sort of flattering that I like broke his shield. Like he's supposed to be working, but I broke his shield. And he was begging my friends, please, please let me give her a lap dance. Please, please, please. And uh, and I was like, okay. And and then he pulls me. A, so so I go uh, at the foot of the stairs, and he's like, I'm so glad that you agreed to do this. I um I love Oriental girls. And my last girlfriend was Asian. And I was just like, what? Like, boom, boom, like two at once. And I, I don't know if you know this, white people, but when you date an Asian woman and then break up with them, their souls do not die and they do not reincarnate in other Asian women. We are different people. That is not what I've heard. It's... <laughs> This is not flattering. So I could have just walked away, but of course I opted to educate him in the champagne room upstairs. Over, like, what Fetty Wap song, I'm trying to think. Like, this is the least teachable moment. The least teachable. So I'm trying to explain the history of the word oriental and that it is like, it is about a certain framing. It, it, was, it was invented. It was a racist word. It has actually been barred in Congress. Like they can't use that in documents anymore. And while his junk is, like, pushing up against my navel... And I am just dry. I'm like drier than a desert. Like nothing. And I'm trying. I'm trying. He's like giving me, even his kisses are dry. It's like grandma kisses. And he's just Well, like, he thinks like a grandma who doesn't understand the yeah, proper like, way to describe people. He's like a 120-year-old man inside a stripper body, right? And I'm just sitting here thinking, what kind of diversity education do they have here at the Silverado? I don't understand. <laughs> What happened here? Hold, hold that thought. Okay. We've got much more to say about Portland's male exotic dancing community right after this. We've got to take a short break. We're talking to Christina Wong. This is Livewire Radio. Back in a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Ergo Depot, makers of the Jarvis Standing Desk. And now, if you want a smaller footprint, but you still want the stability of a desk with some real substance, there's the Jarvis Jr., just as strong as its dad, but it takes up almost half the space, and it's adjustable at the touch of a button. So you can stand when you're feeling like the go-getter you are and sit when you dang well please because you're an adult and you can make your own choices. The Jarvis Jr., allowing the floor space challenged to stand prouder. Get more information at ergodepot.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. We're talking to performance artist Christina Wong. Do you, uh, what's, you do so many different things. How do, you, how do you want to be described in terms of your career and what you put out there? I say performance artist uh, because it just is sort of a catch-all, but because that phrase scares everybody, I say comedian along with it, which also confuses people because a lot of my work just happens in one-woman shows on stages, on theater stages. Well, I've watched one of those shows, Wong Street Journal, your new show. I thought it was fascinating. And the sense I have is that a lot of the stuff that you do tries to kind of explore and describe the experience for, in particular, Asian-American women in this country. What is it, I mean, I, we got into it a little bit earlier, I guess, but sort of what is it about that experience you think that the rest of the population in this country is not wrapping their mind around? Uh, well, I, I'm third-generation Chinese-American, which uh, means one thing. My mom does not have an accent. So there goes half the stand-up jokes that I'm supposed to tell, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and so I often feel like I'm, I'm in the wrong body or that I'm red is not supposed, I'm not supposed to be here. Everyone's always asking, where are you from originally? Where are you from originally? And that gets really confusing in the case of this particular show when I w- decided to go to Uganda. I had an eat, pray, love moment. I was guilty of having that. And I, I went to volunteer 
volunteer with a microloan organization, and there I became a Mazungu, which is a Swahili word used to describe white people. Uh, and I would be uh, very casually, locals would say, when they see your white skin, or we know the whites have money, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 I've never gotten to be white in my life, and certainly not here. It's awesome, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> I got to experience white guilt for the first time. Oh my God, that stuff is serious. Like I was, I've been donating some serious money since I have experienced white guilt. And, um, uh, and I uh, met these guys on the street and they t- tried to charge me what's called the Mzungu price, uh, the foreigner price for some food. And I yelled at them, don't charge me Mzungu price. I, saw, I see two of the guys holding hands. I assume they're the underground gay community of uh, Gulu, Uganda, um, because all my codes are switched in my head. And, uh, and they invite me to this dark room behind them where I assume they're going to organize as the gay community. Um, and, uh, and I follow these strange men into a room at night and uh, very smart and I uh, it turns out to be a music studio and they are rappers and I start to record a rap album with them that night called Mzungu Price um, <laughs> that now plays on the radio in northern Uganda and in nightclubs so white privilege I am the It took Iggy. you like five minutes of being white to get a record contract. I know. I am the, the Iggy Azalea of northern Uganda. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, and, and who kicks off the rap career at 35? I did. So that <laughs> How was the song? Like, do you think it's a pretty decent rap song? Yeah, I think it's decent by our standards, and it's fantastic over there. They rock out to it. That's incredible. So if we were to go to Uganda, mm-hmm. there's a chance we would hear this coming out of the radio or, or playing in a dance club. Specifically in northern Uganda, yes. Post-conflict well, that's northern the, Uganda. I mean, that's the place you want to break is northern Uganda. Yeah. Forget <laughs> southern Uganda. If you're playing in northern Uganda. Mm-hmm. My, my headshot is signed and in a two-room studio up there. And, and, and no pizza parlor in the U.S. will, will hold my headshot, but, but over there. But in Uganda, community. you're a recording star. Yeah. Um, so what, we don't have a lot of time, but I do want to hear about your beef with James Franco. Oh, my God. Old school. Well, now that you're a rapper, you have to really <laughs> yeah, you have to kind rapper, of work on your beef. I have to work on beefing. Um, so I uh, graduated from the English department at UCLA uh, in 2000. And I was actually, I'm the same age as James Franco. And he took a break from school to be famous. And um, I was invited in 2000 and six or 2000 and yeah I think something like that 2006 to give the uh, alumni it was alumni giving the commencement speech and I see him there um and I don't recognize him because I didn't watch movies that much then and I was just like he looks so familiar and my father recognized him as the guy from Batman is that right and uh or Spider-Man Spider-Man that's the movie he's in and and uh don't worry fans of those movies would never be mad if you mixed it up (laughs) it's a pretty chill culture So I give this speech, and my father, after the whole commencement ceremony is over, is like, oh, take a picture with James Franco. And he's pointing to him, and he's talking to the woman who invited me. And as I'm walking up to him, I hear him say to the woman who invited me, you know what, I want to give the speech next year. 
uh, the speech that was given. It was okay. I think I can give the speech. And I heard her say, we usually like to wait for alums to be out in the world with their degrees for a while. Uh, and he's like, that, that speech today wasn't that great. I want to give the speech. So he was actually, he was still in his cap and gown. Everyone else is with their families. doing fam- I don't know where his family is. He's just lobbying. And at that moment, my father taps his shoulder. My father can't hear for whatever reason all this. I can hear this. And I'm just shot. And he turns and he's like, oh, hey. And I'm like, hey. And it's just like the worst thing in the world that the the most famous person there hated my speech and also used it as an opportunity to lobby for him to give the speech and I kept telling myself it didn't happen it didn't happen it didn't happen the following year I see a newspaper article that he was supposed to give the commencement speech for letters and science and his fellow students who were his classmates the year before actually wrote a petition and and said we don't want our classmate to uh (laughs) give (laughs) give the speech because he's only been out in the world for nine months with his degree and uh and then the following year he um uh, hosted the Oscars, which was so fantastic. And um, I would love it if he came off stage at the Oscars and you were talking to someone going, you know what, I should host the Oscars next year. He was all right. This, he was all right. I could do a better job. And so I wrote um, a blog about it after the Oscars. I felt like that was an appropriate time to punch him while he was down. And uh, <laughs> and it went, it, Jezebel picked it up and then it went viral. And I, I mostly do theater work, so it was really this weird thing to experience what it's like to be viral and have strangers attack you and tell you about every stray good experience they've had with James Franco as a defense for how what happened to me didn't happen. Did you ever hear from him on the matter? I never did, no. But I did try to troll him a little to see if he'd respond, but he never never wrote back. He's still smarting from the Oscars, I think. I think he was in a tight spot. So you're going to be in Portland doing Long Street Journal? In the fall. Boom Arts is going to present me in the fall. I don't have an exact date, but please come. It'd be great to have all of you. Well, we will see you then. Christina Wong, thank you so much thank for being so on Livewire. Much. You're listening to Livewire from PRI. This week's show is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, now featuring their side trip Belgian style pale ale, brewed with 100% Belgian ingredients in honor of our Belgian inspiration. This beer is a testament to transatlantic sharing and proof that long-distance relationships can work (laughs) as long as they're with beer. (laughs) More information at newbelgium.com. Our theme this week is Reality Check. We've got a comedian who was voted Portland's funniest person by the Willamette Week newspaper back in 2014. This year, didn't even crack the top five. (laughs) Not sure what happened. But that must have been a serious reality check. The road to redemption starts right here. Please welcome Sean Jordan to Livewire. <laughs> Happy holidays. Uh, I played, uh, played football when I was in high school. I know what you're thinking. Like, of course you did, dude. With that body? Come on. You're built like an unpublished author. You look amazing. <laughs> and that's, what, that's one thing. I was terrible at football. And that's one of the reasons I think I was is because I just don't have the body for it, right? I don't have a good body. I don't have a bad body. It's just existing, you know? Exactly what popped into your head, everybody got it right. Just listen to my voice out there. Whatever you pictured, that's what I look like naked. Everybody got it. Like a big unmolded tube of peach-colored clay. That's what's going on. (laughs) 
If I took off all my clothes right now and got completely naked, everybody's heart rate would stay exactly the same. <laughs> a smattering of applause, that's all I need. Just a smattering, any more than a smattering, and uh, I get out of here, so. If I did, like if I took off all my clothes right now, somebody would be very surprised at the amount of chest hair that I have. That's a weird thing. I have way more chest hair than anybody thinks I do. And that's odd. And it's all in a weird circle right here, like right in the middle of my chest. For those listening, right above my xiphoid process on my sternum. It's just like a weird ball. It's like God gave an angel about a fastball's worth of chest hair, and they just took it and dipped it in Vaseline and went, and just whipped it right at my chest. And I was like, well, no, I'm going to move this around. You guys screwed up. That's not what you meant to do. And they're like, no, you leave it right where it is, dude. Leave that weird, stupid-looking ball of chest hair right on your sternum. And as I was dealing with that situation, they took another ball of chest hair and just went, and whipped that but it hit me right on the belly button and it made a perfect circle so it looks like a hairy bagel now. <laughs> what a fun look. I look like a walking hairy punctuation mark, like a big colon walking around on the beach. <laughs> I was gonna move them both around and they're like, no, you leave those two weird dots of chest hair right where they're at because whenever you wear a gray t-shirt and sweat a little bit, we want it to look like the mask from the movie Scream. That's what we want. <laughs> it's like a big oval. So I was really, I was bad at football, and I remember thinking to myself, like, I want the kids on the high school football team to think I'm cool. What should I do? And in high school, I was thinking about all the cool stuff I could do, and I could do the splits, which is awesome. If I was doing the splits right now, you guys would all be stoked. So I could do the splits three ways. People say you can't do the splits three ways. It's a bunch of bullpucky. You got left leg cheerleader, right leg cheerleader, Van Dam. Three ways to do the splits. And I could do all three, because I was a boss like that. So I had this thought to myself. I was like, you know what I'll do is I'll show up to football practice and I'll show these kids I can do the splits, not one, not two, but three ways. Holler at your boy. <laughs> Obviously, they're going to be into that because we all know how nice the kids on the high school football team are. Just in general, right? Bunch of peaches. But especially to the other boys who can do the splits. They really like those guys. <laughs> so this is where you guys need to go on a journey with me. Anybody just, you know, just picture this. Everybody, I walked up to football practice in my full-on football outfit, which in hindsight is another reason they hated me because it's not an outfit, it's a uniform. I get that. <laughs> What's up, bro? What do you think about, about my football outfit, dude? Pretty dope, right? Pretty dope. I know everything's too big, but I'm terrible, so I got last pick on the pads. What's up, bro? See you at the kegger. So I walked up. And the coolest kid on the team, Eric Johnson, I go, hey, Johnson, what's up? Yuck! And I dropped straight to the left leg cheerleader splits in front of the whole team. And it wasn't fast like Usher or Michael Jackson would do it because I had cleats on and we were on turf. <laughs> so just picture a baby giraffe standing for the first time, right? Just Picture that. I did that. God, it sucked. <laughs> and I got to the end, and I find like it's like a minute. And I had like a figure skater. I was just like, "What's up? Cool, right? You guys like me yet?" And uh, I thought I'd have a bunch of friends by the time I hit the ground, and I did not get any friends. What? <laughs> and what I got? I got a lot of nicknames. <laughs> yeah, they were bad ones. I didn't like them. <clears throat> so I remember telling my dad uh, that I was going to quit football. I go, "Hey, dad, check this out. I'm going to quit football." I uh, did the splits at practice yesterday. I don't ever want to talk about it. 
he goes, well, I got to tell you, but I'm kind of disappointed I didn't raise a quitter. See how quiet that is? You could hear the lid from a bottle of vodka drop in my kitchen that day. I got all bummed out. I didn't want my dad thinking I was a coward, so I looked down, and I kind of tried to, I was like, all right, get it together. So I stuck my chest out, puffed up my jaw. I was like, you know what, Dad, you're right. You didn't raise a quitter. Mom raised a quitter. Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to do one more joke, and then I'm going to leave. You guys are fantastic. Um, <laughs> I get real nervous around girls still. I know you guys are all freaked out about that. You're like, what, with those eyes? Yeah, I do. I get real nervous. <laughs> I, was sitting, uh, I was sitting at a bar not too long ago, just sitting by myself, and a girl came up. She started talking to me, very attractive. After a while, she's like, hey, let's go to your house, finish up the night. I don't know what she meant. I got all nervous. I started pitting out, blinking all fast. I didn't get it. <clears throat> I was like, hold on, let's go to your house. Maybe that'd be better. And she said her roommate's boyfriend was in out. It was like a long-distance thing. She's like, I just want to give them the whole house uh, to themselves. And I was like, you know what? I thought about it. And uh, we'll go to my house, but we've got to be really quiet because my two roommates have a son, and it's me. So <laughs> thank you guys very much. I've been Sean Jordan. You are listening to LiveWire. If you like what you're hearing, check out our podcast, available through iTunes, Stitcher, all the usual places, or you can go to LiveWireRadio.org for more information. Depending on your particular family, bitterness and the holidays can tend to go hand in hand. But what about bitters and the holidays? As in the mysterious botanical liquids you see the bartender shaking into your drink sometimes. Many bitters started out as cure-all patent medicines in recent history, but have now evolved into a big part of the craft cocktail movement. Here to talk about them in his new book, Bitterman's Field Guide to Bitters and Amari. Please welcome Mark Bitterman to LiveWire. They're wheeling alcohol out here, and it's already becoming my favorite interview of the night. Mark Bitterman, welcome to LiveWire. I, I feel like we need to get this out of the way right at the top. You are a world expert on bitters. Your name is Bitterman. If your name was Mark Potatoman, this would have been a very different book. I changed it from Potatoman to Bitterman. Doing that low-carb thing? Yeah. Um, what are bitters and Amari, just as a starting point for this conversation? Uh, bitters are bottles of things that you put on... Cocktails. So it's an alcohol-based flavor extract. That sounds sexy, with a really bitter foundation. And you use it just by the drop to make a cocktail sing. So it's sort of the salt of your cocktail. Uh, an amaro, which is singular for amari, um, is the thing that you drink, like Campari, Averna, Fernet. Um, where do bitters come from? What are they actually made out of? So they're made out of just about everything that ever grew out of the face of the earth or the surface of the earth. Okay. That's where they grow. Um, so it could be roots, barks, uh, berries, leaves. Any of those uh, botanicals are put into alcohol and then macerated for a long time, and they release all their flavors and, and uh, other properties, and then you mix them up, add something really bitter like gentian root or wormwood, and you get a bitters. What is the point of bitters? Isn't bitterness nature's way of telling us don't do that? 
Yeah, it mostly is. Uh, we, interestingly, we have, uh, we have one kind of taste bud for sweetness, one kind for saltiness, one kind for sour, one kind for umami, which is the savory flavor, the new flavor, uh, which we had to learn about from the Japanese. And we have about 25 different taste buds for bitterness. So it's uh, because it's a toxin often in nature, but it's also a nutrient. So we, we got very good at tasting them. Well, uh, when did this start out? I, I was talking to you backstage. Uh, I'm interested in the patent medicine angle on it, but you said even before that, yeah. it was just medicine medicine, these yeah. bitters? Yeah, you had to have medicine before you had patent medicine. Medis- fat- patent medicine is fake medicine. Uh, so before we had modern pharmaceuticals, we would find berries and plants that did good things that we noticed had some beneficial property, and we would uh, eat Are you them. telling me Dr. Schlichtenhausen's hair root and stomach tonic is... That was the real stuff. Oh, that was real. Okay. Yeah, no, I tried me. it. It didn't work. That's helped me a lot in my life. Um, no, so that's, it started off uh, before that as, as actual medicinal herbs and, and, and things. And they found actually the earliest alcoholic beverage ever found uh, anywhere. They did archaeological dig. They found pottery shards from about 10,000 years ago. And they did an analysis on it, and they found that it had hawthorn berries that were kind of macerated to get the hawthorn berry medicinal properties. And so it was this extremely uh, harsh, intense, bitter drink that was 10,000 years old. They added honey to it to sweeten it. That's pretty much the exact recipe for a modern-day Amaro or bitters. You're also a world expert on salt. It seems like you're obsessed with the things that are in the stuff we eat that we typically don't think about. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the things that we need every day. I mean, I frankly don't think I want to go through a day without a cocktail, or at least not a few days. Um, so. <laughs> So you got to have it. Um, same thing with salt. Um, uh, a meal without salt's no good. It's the difference between mediocre and great cooking is proper seasoning. That's how do you get. If you want to get chopped on chopped, don't salt your food. Uh, so I like the things that we take for granted or overlook and that are essential. You can't live without. What was your first experience with bitters, Bitterman? My first experience with bitters uh, was way, way, way back when I was uh, way before drinking age. I was a kind of a drinker. Um, <laughs> I just, I like the flavor of, of things. I like the intense flavor. And By the way, this is an intervention. <laughs> Audiences, Mom, come here to Revolution Hall because they're worried about you, Mark. What age were you drinking cocktails? I was tinkering with them when I was in my teens. Okay, all right, that's... That wasn't that young. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to drink uh, for a young palate. Um, it's very, very intense. But no, I remember really well. Uh, for some reason, when I was a kid, the, 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 the really, if you're really classy, my parents thought if you're really classy, you'd, put, you'd drink Cointreau. And Cointreau is like this cool, sophisticated drink, this syrupy orange stuff you just drink. And so I, put, I was into mixing and goofing around to show off to my parents how, you know, what a mommy's boy I was. And I would, I would <laughs> put some soda in there and I would put bitters. And I did that way, way, way back. And people didn't like it because it was Cointreau. But <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize uh, until not that long ago that bitters had alcohol in them. And I had a period of time where I was taking a little break from the booze juice. So everywhere I went, I just got bitters and sodas. Like, <gasps> yeah. yeah. And then I was like, I like this. It's almost like it has alcohol in it because it does apparently. Yeah, 44.7 percent. Yeah, yeah it's, it's only 44.7 percent though. So. <laughs> Oh, you know. it's, it's not Everclear. It's not right, moonshine. Right, exactly. It's, it's not lighter fluid, yeah. so I guess yeah. that's good. We're talking to Mark Bitterman, by the way. His new book is The Field Guide of Bitters and Amari. Um, you've brought out some fixins for a cocktail that involves some bitters. Can you tell us about this? Yeah, so um, I, th- I did this because I wanted to have something, a temperance beverage for you, since I know you don't drink alcohol anymore. Right. So we're gonna it's just... less than 47 
point whatever right. percent. It's, I it's, don't it's mess with it. It's not 47.8 percent. It's right. just 47. 44.7. So what we're going to do is make a cocktail. Normally you use bitters. The reason why uh, Angostura bitters, probably most people in the audience know that. Wait, what was that again? Angostura bitters. It's the kind of the, the trademark bitters that everybody uses in the bar every day. Um, Angostura. Angostura. Okay, and well, let me check this. It comes from, uh, originally came from the town of Angostura. That tastes right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brave man. And uh, it, it, they moved to Trinidad. But at any rate, Angostura bitters is one of the few that actually survived. There used to be hundreds and hundreds of kinds of bitters. And uh, during Prohibition, a few things happened. But at, at the end of it, Prohibition basically wiped them all out because you couldn't have an alcoholic beverage. So Angostura convinced the government that this is not a beverage. You can't drink it. Um, it's just a flavor. I just did. Yeah, you did. Actually wasn't bad. Yeah. How's it feel? It's good. I'm lightheaded yeah. right now and a yeah. um, little confused, but otherwise, the typical show for me. So no, nothing very different, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're going to, this so, has yeah, so we have Angostura bitters in it. We're going to make a cocktail that's using j j this as your primary booze. So we're going to, instead of using any other alcohol at all, and I did this because I've heard that you're a vodka drinker. And I have something deep inside that makes me aggressive towards vodka drinkers. What is it? You just feel like that's so plain Jane? Yeah, it's a little safe. It's, um, it's a little, maybe it was something that happened to me at a frat party one day, because I think the frat boy is drinking vodka and then turning on the weirdos who obsess on single ingredient subjects. I like the uh, idea of you at the frat party setting up a little mixology station. Yeah. Salting the, yeah. the, the, whatever the... Hey, Derek, have you tried these? <laughs> okay, so you're going to make a cocktail that is... Using bitters as the primary alcoholic yep. component. Yeah. If, you, if one goes into a bar and asks for that, is the bartender going to look at you like you're crazy? Yeah. This is about what you're going to get. Oh, um, good. Okay. For the radio audience, he was miming a punch. A left-handed kind of bad punch. But yeah, so y you wouldn't get a good uh, reaction. It's not very well known, but it's, it's nice. What we're going to do is, this is hard to drink by itself. You're a sturdy constitution, so you can handle it, but it's I really pres intense. I prefer big boned. But, I mean, that's fine. You know what, actually, Mark, hold on. We've got to take a quick break. Yeah. I've got to psych myself up for drinking this thing. Yeah. We'll be back with more Livewire in just a moment with Mark Bitterman. Hey, do you live in Portland or are you traveling our way and you want to find some totally unboring ways to spend your weekend? Maybe you want to read an incisive review of a fire-juggling, Elvis-impersonating trapeze artist slash acupuncturist. It's all in Portland Monthly's On the Town newsletter. To get the best of Portland's arts and culture delivered to your inbox for free, go to pdxmonthly.com slash newsletters. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast version of Livewire. You know, we would not exist without you, the listener, because what would be the point of doing this show if you guys weren't out there taking notice of it? Look, if you feel like Livewire has brought something great into your life, like maybe a band you love or an insight from one of our comics or our guests, please consider becoming part of our League of Extraordinary Listeners. Membership starts at just 35 bucks a year, and it comes with some great perks, like members-only content and members-only jackets. Not the second one, but the first one, which is pretty cool. Visit livewireradio.org to join today. And thank you so much. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio, coming to you from Portland, Oregon, and PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. We're talking to Mark Bitterman, a bitters expert. And uh, right before the break, you were describing this cocktail that you are about to make here on stage, which is uh, using Angostura 
bitters as the main alcoholic component. Now, bitters are usually kind of just a dash of something you throw. It sounds to me like you're about to make a dish where the primary ingredient is soy sauce <laughs> as opposed right. to a dash of soy sauce. Yeah, uh, it's a soy sauce-based food we're about to make. Okay, but great. The, uh, uh, the, the thing, other thing I want to mention, though, is that Angostura is touted as like being the all-purpose, multi-purpose, whatever. It's the, it's the plain Jane. But it's really not. It's really kind of a really special, really baking spicy cocktail. And I think, it, per, frankly, it kind of wrecks cocktails as often as it fixes them. There's a lot of other kinds of bitters that are great, which is why we have a book on bitters that yes. talks about I've heard of this book. Varieties. I think it's called The Field Guide to Bitters and Amari by Mark Bittman. That's the one you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, except it's by Mark Bitterman. Oh, excuse me. Yeah. Ah. I can see that that shot of Angostura I had before the break is already doing its job. Just, uh, yeah. All right, so lay this on me. So you're uh, holding so, a cup of uh, something and I'm using a... I'm what these things are. Okay. I'm going to take my mixer, and I'm going to put about three-quarters of an ounce of lemon juice in there. All right. I'm going to take some egg white, which I'm going to guess is about one egg. There's more than that in here. You're really getting yeah. back at me for the vodka. Yeah. Is this like a drink or something that happens in the movie Rocky? Rocky, exactly. <laughs> you just put raw egg in there. This is the, the outtake of Rocky. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So um, these two things are together in the mixer now dry. It's called dry shaking. I've got the lemon juice and the egg white in there alone, nothing else. Okay. Um, and then you shake it, and this is going to be great because... It's going to foam all over me. This is it's not my shaker. And all over you. The band is getting drunk just from the spray that's coming off Man, of Mark Bitterman's shaker. Let's just try that. Um, How much do you really need to shake it? It seems a lot. pretty shaky, really. What's happening to it while you're shaking? Why, is, why must you do this to that degree? It's just for the theater. No, it's, oh. um, <laughs> what I've done... A little bit has created that foamy little meringue. Okay, it smells good. It smells lemony. Yeah. Uh, the egg smell is pretty minor. Some of that might be me. Um, it's, the, it's on you now. Yeah. Right, okay. Um, I'm going to shake it a little bit more. You're going to shake it more. Where are you trying to take this to? <laughs> this is great radio. I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Your pledge drawlers at work. Now I'm going to put a little bit of Angostura bitters in there. Okay. So you're adding the soy sauce of bitters, a but you actually think it's... jigger of it. Okay, a lot. This is a lot. Of, One and a half ounces. All right. What are you pouring in now? This is simple syrup. So this okay. is just a sugar water. mix of it. sugar and water. Exactly. Okay. And we put some ice in there. I'm going to use my hands if you don't mind. That's fine. They're, just, they're covered in eggs and soy sauce booze anyway. It can't get any worse. <laughs> I'm going to wrap this baby up. And now we'll get some a little bit more acoustic. Okay. Now we strain this baby into a cup. Okay. Now, I mean, what is the superiority of something like this over, say, uh, vodka soda or uh, Bud Light? By the way, he's pouring it out. It's, it's a beautiful red. It kind of looks like tomato soup. Is that supposed to look that color? Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, all right. Wow. I don't know if that was on purpose, but I... Uh, I had it on backstage. I was nearly, near, nearly soaked with this. There's still enough left, though, to do the yeah, job. Okay, so I'm about to have a sip of this. What am I tasting for here? And, and how do the bitters play into this? Like, why is this, I was asking, a superior drink to say... You run of the mill gin and tonic or vodka soda or something like that. Um, well, it's way more intense. So you could use this as a kind of digestive drink, like mm -hmm. after you've already had enough to drink and enough to eat for the night. Um, but I think you have to sip it because you'll see it doesn't really resemble a gin and tonic. Okay, I'm going to take a sip of this frothy nectar of the gods. It's actually pretty good. Yeah. I could, I could slurp that. This is kind yeah. of like a, 
This is, tastes like a, like a Slurpee that, you know, is for mommies and daddies. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you write in the book about how people can actually make bitters at home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What is it like? You just go out in the garden and pull up some roots and just have at it? How does this work? Yeah, there's actually there's a couple, you know, this is Portland, so we have people <laughs> that are walking around foraging the parks and stream beds and, uh, and mountainsides and peeling lichens off of rocks, and they're making bitters out of all foraged ingredients. So, yeah, you can do it so from that's... what you find in the backyard. And, I mean, it turns out okay, too? Like you did... No. <laughs> Either you're getting funny or this drink is starting to work, Mark. That's the power of the Angostura Sour Master made by Mr. Mark Bitterman. Mark Bitterman, thank you so much for coming out here. I'm keeping the cocktail. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines, with 38 nonstops from Portland, and this winter, adding Austin, Texas, where Livewire airs on KUTFM. Go from chilly and rainy to chilly reinos. <laughs> in just a couple of hours, Alaska Airlines keeping you connected nonstop. More information at alaskaair.com. Our musical guest this week is a singer-songwriter who started her career with Denver's folk pop band Paper Bird. She's also co-written songs with Shaky Graves out of Austin and is now pursuing a successful solo career of her own. Her new record is coming in 2016 on Grand Jury Records. Please welcome Esme Patterson to Livewire. Well, I've, I've been working really hard on making a new record, and, and this is one of the songs on it about just listening to your heart. And the needle wraps it 
That's Esme Patterson. And that's our show. Thank you so much. Slide over here and uh, tell you who helped make this episode of Livewire possible. Big thanks to our guests, Christina Wong, Mark Bitterman, Sean Jordan, and Esme Patterson. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is our executive producer and the co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister was our head writer and producer. Bon voyage to Courtney as she embarks on her book project. Jim Brunberg is also a producer, editor, and part of our house band along with Dave Jorgensen. Ben Landsverk and Ned Failing. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team along with Alex Falcone. Our guest writers this show were Caitlin Kunkel and Anthony Lopez. Molly Pettit is our amazing technical director. Our house sound by D. Neil Blake. Special thanks this show to Revival Drum Shop. Thanks also to our marketing director, Laura Haddon, our development director, Kim Bergstrom, and our operations manager, Lauren Masterson. We want to thank our digital media coordinator, Trent Finlay, for his five years of patience and dedicated work here on Livewire. Trent, we wish you the very best, my friend. Also, additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you find beautiful people. For more information about our show or how to become a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we will see you next week. PRI Public Radio International. 
Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.